The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callahan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. Not that long ago in the scheme of things, New Zealand did a lot of its own manufacturing. Some of the previous industries we had now wouldn't make a lot of sense to restart, but there's always room to be specialists in something, no matter how small your home market. And there is a new generation of high-tech manufacturing growing in New Zealand that today's guest is one of the best examples of. United Machinists recently expanded their Dunedin HQ, taking over another section of land and building a state-of-the-art temperature-controlled facility with millions of dollars of new machines, allowing them to make more of the high-tech components and assemblies for things as diverse as camera mounts and prosthetic hands. Their leader, with a background in investment and marketing, came to the family-owned business through her husband, and in moving to the CEO role, has led their growth into a company set up for another few generations of business. Sarah Ramsey has also been a leading force in the local Dunedin startup scene as chair of Startup Dunedin and also as a director of a body helping lead the renaissance of engineering in the region, the Southern Otago Regional Engineering Collective. Joining us now to chat the journey, the industry and life in Dunedin is Sarah Ramsey. Kia ora, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Simon. Thanks for having me. Hey, first up, going into your background before getting into the world of high-tech machinery and manufacturing, um, in, in the investment and then the marketing space, tell me about the companies you've, you've built up prior to this. And, and I think I read something somewhere that there was a really interesting moment where you had a successful marketing company and decided to walk away from it. Uh, yes, so I... I did my eight-year kind of stint in Australia in investment banking, mainly in the marketing space, and then moved back to New Zealand and spent some time in property and and shopping centres. And after observing a lot of the retailers that I worked with, so my role at uh, National Property Trust was to look after the retailers. And of course, when you're a landlord, the first thing you want your retailers to do is lift their turnover rather than give them rent relief when they're they're struggling to pay the rent. So that was my gig. I got rolled out to help them improve their businesses. And after a, you know several years of doing that and observing that a lot of these retailers really didn't get the basics right and, and also um, that there were some real trends in companies that were outperforming irrespective of category, 
I decided to go out on my own and work with those companies and provide some really independent advice as opposed to uh, the local newspaper or local radio station, no offence, um, providing them with, with independent marketing plans which essentially just uh, were writing their own large budgets. So, look, it went really well, but I suppose where I got to after building that up to 12 staff is that uh, marketing consultancy is a really tough gig and my passion was always to start some of my own companies and invest in companies, which is the background that I had in Australia. And I was always working away on the background and, and what my, my venture was going to be or uh, volunteering time with startups locally who couldn't afford our services, but um, you know I could really see the opportunity to make a difference. And I suppose when I had my, my son Finn, got to the point where I realised that really building and scaling an agency was going to be the baby as opposed to using that as a vehicle to be able to invest in some of the companies and, and in um, the startup venture that I wanted to do. So yes, we had fun and, and started to wind that back. Yeah, that's an amazing thing to kind of build a company to a point where you're probably making quite an impact in a lot of the businesses you're working with, especially if you've had like a great, uh, a great kind of proving ground being a, a, a Mr. Wolf kind of character and coming in and being the fix-it operations person uh, for people who, who who need help across a whole lot of sectors. And then to make that call to go, well, look, I'm, I'm always going to end up selling my time and, and, and battling hard. Um, maybe there's better things to do. What, what, um, what were those better things to do that you had um, – that, 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 that made that decision? Yeah, look, I suppose what I kept doing was making myself redundant with my clients. And so I've still got a lot of those clients have become good friends and they were a really good proving ground for me. Uh, but at the end of the day, you'd find it was much more efficient for them when they got to a certain point of growth for them to recruit and engage their own marketing team in-house. And um, I'm a firm believer that, you know, strategy and, and implementation, once you get to a certain size, needs to be in-house particularly in a digital age. So I, I kind of started recruiting their teams for them and then being part of their advisory panel. So you know, it was a natural progression. It's not like I just stopped providing services overnight and I still get the occasional email from an old client wanting help with uh, how to access their website or something like that. Um, so you know, to come back to your question, I think you were saying, what what is it that I'm doing now? Well, Alex and I bought uh, his family business off his parents about four years ago. And as he was running that and I was running Immersion um, and then shifted into the investment space and have made several investments into startup companies, really realised that there's nothing quite like having skin in the game and actually being part of that team and being able to make the decisions. Uh, it's that whole, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink and I suppose as I got more governance experience and broader business experience and actually took a step back and looked at what I'd created with Immersion, um, it's not easy to build a scalable uh, consultancy business and set up you know, billing rates and staff and organisational structure and, and all of that. There was actually quite a lot from the general business space that I'd learned and, and that was the area I wanted to operate in rather than pure marketing consultancy. 
And around that time, you were also super involved as chair of Startup Dunedin and helping to, I guess, as an investor, but also um, as someone uh, building up kind of skills and capability and linkages, um, the actual startup scene around Dunedin. What led you there? And, um, you, you know, if people who've listened to the podcast might have um, might remember um, Ryan from Timely. You know, there's some oh, yeah. Amazing, yeah. Um, amazing businesses uh, in the startup scene in Dunedin. Yeah, well, I, I'm a bit of a magpie, kind of like shiny, fun people. And I think, you know, at my heart, it's about helping people. And um, I do really enjoy the vibe and, and the scene that goes with it. And a lot of what we were lacking in Dunedin at that stage was a real community of startups. So, you know, I can't say that I'm a, a guru that provides them all with, in, you know, invaluable information. But when it comes to actually setting up the network and and um, helping people like Ryan uh, and uh, all of the, the startups that are coming through feel like they've got a place to go and a cohort to work with. But business is a really lonely game. And I think that uh, it's really brave. And we've got these inspirational and aspirational young people trying to start companies, it's a really cool thing to be part of and to um, feel that you've added some value to. And tell me about your journey into United Machinists. It was a manufacturing business uh, in in Dunedin. What was the state of manufacturing uh, like uh, and, and what was the business doing when you took it over? Well, we wouldn't have bought it if it wasn't doing well. <laughs> um, but look, we... Alex's dad, Doug, founded United in 1977, and the industry's changed massively. You know, his clients were um, the Fisher and Paykel when they were here in Dunedin, Methvin, um, a lot of heavy industrial, and a lot of that industry is just shut down uh, around here. So where Alex had started to take the company while he was still with under Doug and Leslie's realm, was to really focus on the high-tech space. And we started working with a client called Shot Over Camera Systems, amazing company based down in Queenstown. They make um, high-end motion picture gimbals, and you know we're talking half a million dollars each, real high-tech, high-value export product. And we could just see a real opportunity. And I suppose my background in both the early stage companies and marketing as I could see that New Zealand had a real future in high tech. I could see that government policy was really encouraging that innovation space and there was an opportunity for us to position ourselves right in it. We had the advantage of a um, you know nearly 40-year-old business to leverage. So you have all of the, the structure and the longevity and, and it makes it more easily fundable by a bank. Um, so we were able to to buy that and leverage it to push much more into that space and, and basically de-risk what was a predominantly jobbing-focused local engineering shop into a, a you know national player um, exporting some pretty amazing or working with some pretty amazing high-tech exporters. If you love the spin-off, the best way to show it is to become part of the spin-off members. This is the fund that helps us keep free and accessible to all without a paywall it also funds some of our most important and acclaimed journalism. You can pay what you want, but for just $8 a month, you'll receive a package that includes our first book. Check it out through the spin-off. Without foresight or vision, the people will be lost. Kia ora koutou, I'm Stacey Morrison. Join me for Conversations That Count, ngā kōrero whaitake. 
a new series brought to you by Massey University and the spin-off. I'll be chatting to academics, activists and industry leaders to turn a unique lens on the issues impacting Aotearoa and Te Ao From structural equality to liberalising drug policy, implications for our mokopuna and more, we'll bring you thought-provoking kōrero about the things that count for all of us. New episodes will be available each month, so subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. And it's a big investment and a big decision to make to do that, isn't it? As you're not just kind of hiring a few more apprentices and training them up to kind of like turn a lathe. These yeah. are these are some quite extraordinary bits of kit that you have to bring in, hey? Yeah, it's pretty cool. When when Alex and I talked about buying it, he convinced me just with his kind of kid in candy shop response to what the machine shop of the future would look like. You know, he has this real vision of what high-tech manufacturing looks like and uh, it involves, uh, like at its heart, yes, it involves technology like robots and automation and, and live digital dashboards and we've done that now, but it's also really about the people. So, you know, we have uh, a couple of guys that have come through from Apprentice. We actually just promoted Mike who started with us seven years ago and he's only 24 and he's now our foreman. Um, and he works directly with our prosthetic hand client. He can program, he can quote, he can run the robot. And it's just been really, really amazing to watch that progression of predominantly guys running a lathe to we still got all of those guys, but we also have mechatronics engineer and R&D team and we have specialised measuring devices and um, all sorts of really, really cool shit, I suppose, is the way to summarise it. <laughs> When you're coming to do this stuff, like how much of it is kind of chicken and egg and that, um, you know, you need these amazing machines to be able to do things like um, fully automated production runs or assemblies of um, things that are kind of too precise and too um, too technical for human hands to do. Mm. But you, you also need the clients who need to do the work. Uh, yeah. How, how does how does that work? How do you forecast and plan and, and, and build up that market? It's not easy, especially when you've got, you know, 12 to 16 month lead times on these machines. Uh, so, you know, the machines we've just unloaded and, and installed, we bought that first one back in March last year. So really, it, I think that's where the marriage of, um, pardon the pun, marriage of Alex's technical and in engineering expertise and my um, professional services background really came together. So we, we just have great relationships with our clients. We manage them. We do what we say we're going to do and we keep them informed all along the way. So we're very lucky that we've got a strong um, base of clients who are in high growth mode. And so whilst they've kind of tripled, quadrupled in size over the last three years, they've taken us on the journey with them. And so we've said to them, look, this is what we want to buy. If we can do this, it will lift our production to be able to you know, meet your growing demand. And it will also de-risk the business because we can bring in other clients. And we have really open conversations with them um, and have service level agreements, which is kind of unheard of in, in our space, so that we can actually plan and make decisions going forward. And and then it's just purely a, a bank and commercial decision on whether they believe us and want to back us. Um, but it doesn't just come down to the tech um, and and the the training of the team. It's actually that whole 
customer service, reliable delivery. If, if we weren't providing that, then there's no way that our clients would back us to do it. Are people surprised? I mean, when people think about manufacturing in New Zealand, they may not think it's at the absolute cutting edge of what people are able to do around the world. But are people surprised when they find out the kind of things you make and uh, and the kind of capabilities that are here? Yeah, they are. And uh, look, there's a there's a small cohort of really great operators like us, um, and there's probably half a dozen companies doing what we do in the CNC machine shop space. There's um, really amazing injection molders and 3D printers, and there's some great high-tech companies and also product designers that are all part of this circle. And I think they know that, that this is here, but one of our bugbears is, you know, looking at the next generation that's coming through. They have no no idea how, how products are made or that we have this capability in New Zealand. And I think um, the traditional trade is not the traditional trade anymore. And if we had more um, people coming through high school that were actually aspiring to to take up the trade, that would be a brilliant thing. Yeah, so what what is involved for people who uh, go into engineering and um, production and, and manufacturing today? Because you're mentioning a bit of coding, a bit of project management, yeah. a bit of actual assembly stuff. Uh, it's a real kind of Swiss Army knife skill set, hey? Yeah, it is. Yeah, so... Oh, look, and, and sorry, coming back to your previous question as well, I've never brought somebody through the machine shop um, and shown them even some of our older machines where the um, the five axis and it's doing its thing and you've got coolant coming out and you've got everything moving around. Nobody has ever looked in one of those windows and not been amazed. Yeah, it's, yeah, just, yeah. it's just little awareness. So for somebody that's coming through, they can pick any kind of work stream or they can work across kind of project management. You've got Lean, you've got Mechatronics, um, which is programming robots um, and automating machines. So we got a young guy roving through the Callahan Innovation Program over Christmas and he's now with us permanently and he's been working on a project to fully automate our measuring process for the task of prosthetic components. Um yeah, you you can run machines. Our um, new and Mazak Integrates, which was helped by the Provincial Growth Fund, thank you, Shane Jones, um, that has two spindles and also a milling tool, which uh, might not make so much sense via audio, but it's it's pretty pretty whiz bang. It's quite a, a wizard as far as um, the best way to explain that would be. Uh, the guy we've got running it at the moment, we've just made a part that might have had to have four or five operations across three different machines, so two lathes and a mill. And so what we can do with this mill turn integrates is do all of those operations in one, so it's done in one. That's incredible. It saves a good eight hours of setup. Um, and also for that operator, they basically become the wizard of that machine. They're, their challenge um, on a daily basis is to look at how can I make this more efficiently? How can I get more efficient tool paths? How can I up the RPM to, to make that part faster and more efficiently and more accurately? You mentioned the Callahan Innovation and also the Provincial Growth Fund. How important is it in terms of things like this where uh, you are having to kind of um, – have a bit of a builder and they will come because of the huge investment, but also the huge technical 
unlock that it provides to other businesses in the area. How, yeah, how have you worked with these kind of government bodies to be able to to build out this capacity? I probably have a bit of an unfair advantage given the background with um, with the, the startup scene and understanding how those models work. But it was a bit of a fight to to be honest to get them to recognise us as a client. Um, where they sit with us now is that essentially we're essential to high-tech New Zealand manufacturing. So while we may not be the manufacturer ourselves, um, us continually investing in R&D and process is absolutely critical to New Zealand being able to manufacture. Um, so how we work with them is in, in two ways. We can collaborate with clients. Uh, so like with Tasker, we, the prosthetic hands company, we are collaborating with them and with Callahan to design this automated, uh, measuring process, handling thousands of tiny micro components that require 0.003 tolerances in some cases, 003 of a millimeter tolerances is obviously really, really difficult for, for a human, um, massive RSA problems. Um, or RS, repetitive strain problems and just a real unknown. So ta- so Callahan have really come into it with us on that. Um, I suppose the Provincial Growth Fund, I think, has filled a real gap. So one of my um, regular bugbears that I uh, talk about is the fact that policy to date has actually encouraged uh, manufacturing to be offshore. So if we've got Callahan investing in um, R&D research and the, the whole planning phase, and then we've got New Zealand Trade and Enterprise that are investing in helping companies to export, um, Callahan won't actually provide funding for any kind of capital equipment that's going to have ongoing resi- residual value, and NZTE will only fund new market entry stuff. So where you get stuck is decades of underinvestment and actual capability to make stuff. And that's where the Provincial Growth Fund has come in really nicely. Uh, and it's given us the opportunity to de-risk that kind of investment. And it's a real kind of, as you were saying before, that there's kind of a, a wave of companies that are doing this investment now. Um, tell us about the importance of bodies like the Regional Engineering Collective, the, the the Southern Otago Regional Engineering Collective that you're pulling together, um, in order to kind of like raise awareness and get people understanding that you know after these decades of underinvestment that there's actually been a, a, a change. Mm. Uh, well, look, I think the best the best illustration of where SoRec potentially sits, and um, you've got Callahan for R&D, you've got Provincial Growth Fund for actual um, capital intensive capability, New Zealand Trade and Enterprise for export. What we don't have is a professional body to help um, with with some aspects like what I've done in, in United has been moving to the Industry 4.0 uh, automated scheduling, real-time data, uh, providing cl- customers with true schedules, working on the lean aspects, organisational structure, HR, um, all of those kind of professional um, professional skills that you actually need in order to and make these investments. And working with uh, Gareth Evans from Farrers and Gareth Dykes from FI Innovations and um, Stu Hamilton from from TY, we won't go 
down there. But we all brought that to our organisations. None of us are actually engineers ourselves. We came from professional, um, more corporate backgrounds and we've overlaid those skills on a traditional machine shop. And what we see and what I've seen with Alex and his parents and a number of other companies in our region and in our sector is that the, the, the leaders are the engineers, they're busy, they're innovating all day, they're just trying to get the work out and they can't actually take that step back and have never really um, even crossed their horizons as far as thinking on how to pull the organisation together and how to get themselves um, ready for this kind of investment. And so that's really, I suppose, where our, our base is, as well as the, the marketing. So um, what we need, particularly in light of the recent TY announcement, is to be exporting more. It's been incredible for our business. It's been incredible for the, the other companies that sit around that table and some of the companies in the region that are doing really well. Um, some of these big export opportunities like Australian Defence, uh, they can be four or five year lead times and they require a lot of time and a lot of investment in the process and it's bigger than any one. So if we can collectively raise our professional bar, if we can collectively start to invest in capability and not duplicate and if we can collectively advocate to, to get in front of some of those tender opportunities, then um, the whole is much bigger than the individual. When you were looking to to build out and like, you know, step out of your uh, very successful career in branding and marketing, mm -hmm. uh, also as, as kind of a really key partner to some really big investment funds uh, and go, hey, I'm going to go step into manufacturing. Do people, do people kind of question what you were up to? Yeah, they thought I was a bit mad. Yeah. Um, I, because I had thought I would go into uh, doing directorships and just full-time angel investing and I even developed like another product on the side and I've got all the branding and everything there for that. Um, but I suppose um, we're, and I had a couple of really good advisors actually, friends at and at Deloitte and they'd sat me down and done a life plan. You know, they'd actually planned it out and said, now Sarah, you can't just go into this machine shop and disappear. Um, and now they're saying, Sarah, you can never leave the machine shop. You've created a bit of a monster um, and it'll be really cool to see what, what we can do there. So, yes, people did think I was, I was mad, but I suppose I really, really fell in love with it. Yeah. And what advice would you have for people who uh, are looking at something where maybe they have fallen in love with something and um, it may not be... Um, yeah, like may not have the awareness around it and may have a bunch of challenges. Yeah, that, that all those challenges around bringing that professionalism to something that may have traditionally been kind of uh, a, a, an engineer-run shop or like a principal-run shop. Um, look, I think like, people, we talk about investment and business and, and money and all of that, but I think your most precious commodity is actually your energy. And if you run out of energy for what you're doing, then life's not going to be so much fun, is it? You know, I absolutely love what I do and I'd stopped loving what I was doing at Immersion. Um, we also had a, a, a very close family member that passed away and we had our son, Finn, and it just made us kind of stop and evaluate, which, which was what is our main motivation? It's got to be about... Um, the passion and and doing what we love and the the 
the money is kind of secondary. So if you're just staying in something because it's going to be too hard to shift to, to where your real passion is, um, you've you've got to take you've got to jump in both feet and just follow it. Uh, and you know, de-risk it if you can. But otherwise, I I firmly be, believe I'm a bit of an idealist that if you follow your passion, then you won't run out of energy and you'll be able to put everything into it. And people will follow that as well. People, um, uh, the most simple analogy that I use is you, when you walk past a restaurant and it's empty and then you walk past another one and it's humming with a whole lot of um, really happy people, you, you're going to go into that one and, and you are the same. If you are following a career path that's just making you miserable or a business that's making you miserable, then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. But if you're excited about it, if people can see that, people will follow you. And what will success be for you, both kind of for the industry that you're in, but for you? Um, yeah, I get asked this question. My husband thinks he's really looking forward to retiring um, early and working on our forest. But he thinks that I'll be working until the day I die. So for me, I, look, I'd just like to see what we can do. Um, it was a real highlight for me yesterday, um, giving Mike a, a promotion to foreman and seeing his kind of eyes well up. Like for me, I'm, I want to see us grow a, um, a really sustainable organisation where our staff have a shareholding in it, where, you know, I think I've been reasonably vocal about I wouldn't rule out one day potentially uh, listing it would be great to look at opening uh, additional similar operations outside of uh, Dunedin, so potentially looking further afield in New Zealand or even even Australia, and really creating a scalable and sustainable um, contract manufacturing business, uh, and one day potentially looking at how we can start to invest into some of our own products. So taking that that passion that I've had to invest in companies and actually starting to invest into some of these high-tech companies that are coming out of the woodwork. Uh, so, yeah, I think what I can see is, is a much larger organisation that's co-owned and run by staff and creating some pretty amazing opportunities for both people and industry and the exporters that we are developing here in New Zealand. Ah, that's so cool. And so cool to be, yeah, driving um, like... like uh, a, a, a renaissance, but also a very real kind of like physical uh, increase, you know, your footprint of your, your shop in, in increasing and the number of staff and the number of machines and the number of possibilities uh, just humming down there. Yeah, we just want to make cool shit with cool people. <laughs> That's so cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing the story today. That's Sarah Ramsey, the CEO at United Machinists. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Simon. Thank you so much to Tina Tiller for producing and thank you very much for having us along in your ears. Cheers. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound and brought to you by the spin-off and Callahan Innovation. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring. Brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? 
With over 300 kilometers of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.